If you suckers blinked, you missed the month of March because it I can't even believe it. March 28th, I mean, penultimate, I think so, unless it starts tomorrow. I don't even know. I know the Yankees start on Thursday. So for what it's worth, that's opening day, folks. I believe in the Bronx, although, again, does it really matter because they're the Yankees? This stand, by the way, is market call. Uh, today's episode brought to you by CME Group, Dan, where risk meets opportunity. Of course, fact set, financial data and analytics are, in fact, powered by tomorrow. I'm powered by a number of different things today, Dan. It's just the two of us. So if you folks were waiting for some surprise guests like Batgirl, you know, you can tune out now. By the way, check us out on the YouTube. You should subscribe, smash the shit out of the like button and do whatever you people do. Um, but it's an interesting day. Now, people say, what are you talking about? There's nothing going on. Well, you know what? There's actually a lot going on, Dan. There really is, right? If you look at it, and, you know, we actually shared that similar sentiment yesterday during market call that despite the fact that, you know, the S&P or the NASDAQ were up or down 30, 40 bips or something like that, it was actually a really interesting day because it was a bit of a bifurcation. Um, We're seeing some of the major NASDAQ names pretty heavy on the day, and we saw banks rallying off of a, I don't know, a bank maybe like 25% of their assets being bought out of receiver, receivership by a bank that none of us have ever heard of. And the XLF was trading a little bit better and Bank America was up four or 5%. It just, it just felt like a really, really weird day. Mm-hmm. We've been talking about the concentration in the NASDAQ and kind of the rotation into some of those names. And again, I mean, I just come out thinking, guy, is that all of this turmoil that we have felt with as far as the banking system and the confidence in the banking system and banks failing and regulators taking extraordinary actions and banks tapping all sorts of relief windows, right? You know, like that. It's just, it's just going to weigh on the economy here, man. And so to me, I just don't feel great about it. You know, I had someone tweet at us this morning and, and maybe um, Jacob can find it. It's like, when are you guys going to, he's like, I like you guys, but when are you guys going to start talking to the market that we have? Yeah, I saw, I saw that tweet. I'm sure that, that exercised want. you. Yes, I saw that. Well, it, it's just like, dude, like here and now, unless you're trading at tick by tick, okay, I, I, as far as I'm concerned, I'm the only guy and you're the only guy, you know, we, we know each other. We're staring at our fact set machines all day long, okay? We're, we're looking at markets. We're trying to come up with ideas. We're coming up with like angles that, that maybe aren't as obvious to this and that or whatever. But most people out there who are listening to our podcast, okay, who are watching Market Call are not doing that. Right. So don't you want to know what we think is going to come next? Isn't that why you're here? Isn't that sort of the value proposition? And oftentimes, you know, that whole concept guy of a mirage, you know what I mean? Like a mirage. Oftentimes that's what's going on in markets. Speak to that. It's interesting. I mean, a mirage, you're sort of out there in the Sahara, right? And you've been out there for a while. You get heat stroke and you start to see things that, you know, are not really there. And, you know, I, I am guilty of that from time to time like i'm looking and maybe i'm seeing an oasis but it ain't even a water fountain out there is that is that what's going on there is that causing that that sort of like i don't know you get to a certain age and you know it's funny well i mean that's for another show but i'm one of these people everybody sounds so thirsty everybody's thirsty all the time like i'm i don't think i've ever uttered that phrase in my life see look at that as you drink a little bit of water It's interesting today. And look, I I try to watch as many things as possible. And to your point, I mean, we're we're trying to um, impart some of the knowledge we think we have. We don't talk with certainty about anything. I know I don't. I mean, we do say when we're wrong, we're rare to point out the things we get right, because I don't think it's all that interesting. 
but I do think it's interesting. You know, you've done this for a period of time. Now you start to see things that you think make sense. And we're trying to connect the dots. For example, and we're going to try this on the fly. You mentioned the banks. Look at First Republic, Dan. As, as you know, that comes out FRC. That stock is down almost 5% today on a very benign day. A stock that obviously got thrown a lifeline however many trading days ago in the form of 11 banks and $30 billion worth of deposits. But that deposit base is there for 120 days. I mean, there's something amiss here. Like, yeah. unless I'm totally off my rocker, something is going on. And I'm, I, this is, again, got nothing to do oh. with First Republic. But I'll say this. I think you're going to start to see this culminate or crescendo. And I've said it a number of times, but for the new people in the back, when you see a take under in one of these banks, and I'm telling you, some of these are trading like that's going to happen. Dude. Well, that one is, but then the other one <clears throat> that we've been talking about now, and I've had a position in, okay, so you can say I'm talking my book. Trust me, my book is not moving any market one way or another, but I'm putting trades on where I think there's a good risk reward. Oftentimes, I do them in options, as many market call uh, viewers know, and I'm defining my risk. But Charles Schwab, okay, this is a great company. Okay, this is a great company, but for some reason, this thing has been tagged for the exposure that they have in their bank. There was an article in Bloomberg on Friday afternoon talking about it. There was an article in the journal yesterday. Schwab's $7 trillion empire built on low rates is showing cracks. And look at this stock. This was one of the first mega cap or large cap, whatever you want to call it, financial stocks that was down on the day. And it's down, you know, nearly 3% today. JP Morgan's hanging in there. It's unchanged, but the XLF is now down 30 bips. We're seeing Wells Fargo down, Bank America um, down 1%, Citigroup down a little bit, Goldman, uh, Morgan Stanley. You know, the XLF feels heavy and you got to figure out some names that you think are going to kind of lead the sentiment. Schwab is the one that I've uh, attracted. Yesterday, when, you know, we saw some of those money center banks rallying like crazy, okay, um, I doubled my position in the XLF on a green day, okay? Like, that's just trading people. Like, I don't know what to tell you. So if you think I'm wrong right here and I'm not trading the market that we have, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm actually, you make money in the future unless you're taking trade by trade by trade. You know what I mean? So I don't know. Listen, I appreciate the commentary. I love it that you love us. We love you back. Um, but I don't trade the market that we have. I trade the market that I think is going to happen based on all the inputs that we're putting in here together. So again, I think that XLF, it feels like a press. I said this to you guys yesterday on the short side, but I'm there and I'm doing it with defined risk. So there. Have at it. So today, you know, obviously, you know, Tim Seymour has mentioned this a few times on Fast Money. And correctly, by the way, uh, he has said that as long as tech continues to outperform sort of the, you know, the broader S&P, let's just say, or the Dow stocks or whatever you want to call it. He goes, you know, the, the market is probably going to continue this grind higher. Well, the last couple of days, obviously, yesterday, and you're seeing it to a certain extent today, that's starting to unwind a little bit. Now, I'm sure there are people out there that say that's a constructive thing, and maybe it is. I'm sure there are other people out there that say this is a bit of a warning sign. But it's interesting, and I think it's worth pointing out, then we'll look at some charts that, you know, this outperformance in NASDAQ, at least for the last day and a half or so of trading, yeah. is starting to unwind just a bit, Dan. Well, and, and focus on the semis. Let's pull up the SMH for a second here. Mm -hmm. We know that two of the largest components in that are NVIDIA, 
Um, and and uh, Taiwan Semi, NVIDIA is up 80% on the year. It's up more than 100% off the lows. And that is a massive market cap stock over $650 billion. And Taiwan Semi is up there um, you know, as a big market cap leader, up 22% of the year. So semis are down 5% in the last couple of days. We're going to talk about Micron in a second. Their report today after the close, again, not as a big factor from um, a market cap standpoint in the index, but it also is really important from a pricing standpoint, from a visibility standpoint, from a demand standpoint from you know all of the things that you and I know a, a company like Micron where their main products have been massively commoditized and they have the ability to kind of um, you know really set the tone for the broader sector but to me you know you see that uptrend from the October lows um, in the SMH it was up 50 some percent off the lows versus the NASDAQ it doubled the performance of the NASDAQ um, off of the lows mm -hmm. so there's a lot of concentration um, there and so again these are these are just kind of important levels you want to, you want to talk about micron here a little I'll bit just leave this up for a second because yeah. and yes we will talk about micron but you know i can eyeball this and i'm not special by any stretch but you know i can actually see an uptrend line if you connect sort of the mid-october yeah. low and then that next low we saw in late december and the third low is going to ironically come in right around the 200-day moving average if your eyes can do that and that's probably what, like 220 or thereabouts, 225, whatever it is. And, you know, I've said this about a number of different things. You know, when you start to move standard deviations away from the 200-day moving average, at some point you get this mean reversion. So, you know, yeah. tomorrow maybe we'll come back and we'll draw, or maybe Carter can draw some lines. But there is an uptrend line that I think is on the verge, when I say verge over the next couple of weeks, of touching that third point on the, yeah. you know, on the uptrend line, which is obviously somewhat lower significantly lower than we're trading now if if you folks playing the home game can yeah, see that so but guys, we'll put up a trend line tomorrow. that is 235 um on the uptrend which would really be at the low end of that mm -hmm. kind of february uh march level which we literally were just at um back on march 13th and then the 200-day moving average really flattened out um just below um, 220 here. So um, again, I think that is important. It's important that you bring it up. Um, you know, one, one thing I'll just say with the Micron, and you, I think you said it yesterday, is that again, you know, I mean, people want to explain away, you know, if you have weakness in an early cycle, you know, kind of name, you know, often thought to be very cyclical, right? So if you think that the economy is coming out, if we're going to kind of see some sort of reflation, you want to go to some of these early cycle names um, where you'll see, you know, some pretty decent demand because this is where um, a lot of OEMs will will hit right out of the gate, right? Preparing for a better economy. And again, we have a little bit of a, an uptrend here. You see that it's also been in a downtrend. Mm -hmm. This area of kind of lower highs, the implied move in the options market is about 6%. You know, Mike Coe was on Fast Money last night on the, in the options action segment. He was talking about some put buying, you know, I think out a month all the way down to that kind of, you know, a 50 strike or so, which seems like kind of way out of the money, but you see that this thing has been range bound for the most part. And it's just, you know, approaching that 200 day moving average, which tells you um, that it has been very range bound um, for the last year. So thoughts here, Guy. 6% implied move in a micron is probably historically at the low end of things, number one. Number two, when you look at this chart, I mean, here we are effectively at the moving average, which we've struggled with a number of different times, both on the upside and the downside. And this formation is a bit of a pennant formation. So you say to yourself, well, the more power, it's in a much longer downtrend, but you're in this short-term uptrend. How does it resolve itself? And you know, if he's seeing $50 put buying, I mean, that suggests that people think this early cycle recovery 
is not going to be nearly as robust as a lot of people hope for. And yeah. regardless of what people say, I mean, Micron, you know, again, I mentioned this a couple shows ago and a few years ago when Micron announced, I think it was a $50 billion stock buyback, which was significant. I said, you know what, Micron for the first time ever is has visibility. They're no longer a commoditized cyclical company. I mean, they've sort of changed. They've shifted gears. That was right for about a month. And then obviously they reverted back. Regardless of what anybody tells you, Micron is still a highly cyclical name. So here's the question that you have to ask yourself. You know, we're on the beginning of something or are things ratcheting down? You're going to know a lot, I think, in terms of not only this quarter, what they say, assuming they even give guidance, Dan, yeah. because I got to believe, you know, it's as cloudy for them as it is for a lot of other folks out there. Yeah. And I'll just say this, you know, last month we had NVIDIA and, and their earnings and guidance, which I think were better than expected, really got the stock. Well, and, no, and well, listen, I mean, very different part of the semiconductor sort of ecosystem. And, and, and again, we've covered that, but I just want to, you know, make the point that, you know, for any of you who've been waiting around like Guy and I have been for, you know, a bit of a death blow for like some important companies within, you know, as it relates relates to you know technology and where they sit and what they're seeing that sort of thing we just haven't seen any meaningful guide downs of late and maybe that comes um you know in the in the q uh q2 guidance here if they were to give it um i want to make one point about the unusual activity um it's a term that i freaking hate in the options market i think that um you know if you want to say there's some outsized activity or this and that or whatever you know relative to the norm no one knows who's doing what against what, you know what I mean? Like that sort of thing. So if you talk about when I was listening to Mike talk about the, 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 the put buying all the way, you know, out of the money, looking at a month in front of earnings, that sort of thing, you know, that could be somebody who's just kind of balls along the stock and then maybe they bought it at 50 bucks and maybe their risk manager is tapping them on the shoulder about all these other correlations and their positions and this, that, or whatever. And basically saying, I need you to be stopped at the price in which you bought it. Maybe you buy puts. Is that bearish? No, not really. If you're buying teeny, what they call teeny puts way out of the money, that sort of thing. So I think there's a lot of, and Mike is not one of these guys to mm -hmm. do that by any means. When Mike comes on in that segment, he is charged with detailing some activity and the name that's going to be in the news in the next day or two or so and talking about some of the activity. But there's a lot of people out there who draw a lot of ridiculous observations about what trades in the options market, not knowing if it was Delta neutral, what it might be against on an outright basis. Maybe it's part of a broader portfolio, right? Maybe it's hedging out some risk that um, is a semi, who knows? Okay. So like to me, I just don't find it particularly interesting. Listen, you know, as, as I'm sure the majority of the people on this feed know, but options can be directional bets, obviously, yeah. or they can be hedges for existing positions yeah. or, you know, they could be hedges against individual names. There's so many different things to your point. Uh, so it's very hard to get inside, you know, what the what the end use for these options are. I mean, like insurance, you know, you buy life insurance, you don't want to die. I mean, and, 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 you know, I'm saying you buy fire insurance, you don't want there to be a fire. So yeah. a lot of times these options are bought hoping nothing happens. You know, you just have that insurance policy of better protection. So I think you make a good point. But yeah. in this what, case, what, what you know, a $50 there? put in this case, yeah. I think it's noteworthy um, in terms of the level and in terms of the possibility. So for me, that feels more directional to me. But again, I don't know that. Yeah, but the notional value of the trade guy was just not that big. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? So, so mm -hmm. that's one thing. And I'll say this, you know, I, I like because I've been in in options for you know fifteen years or or more. You know, 
to your point, people use them for all different sorts of reasons. And, and, and I'll just tell you this, from my experience, most people use them to speculate and they use it for leverage. You know what I mean? That sort of thing. And so when you're trading options um, into events that have the potential to be binary, because if you're long a call and that stock or that ETF or whatever the underlying is, you know, literally closes on expiration a penny below the strike that you have chosen, it's a total zero, right? So that's the like like the definition of binary. And I'll just say this. I met years ago a guy who used to get a lot of hype. He was a one of those kind of short report guys. And when 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 they would come out, people would give um, you know, a lot of attention to them because they usually had some, you know, wild claims and oftentimes he was right and other times he was wrong. And he used to like full wholeheartedly say, Yeah, I have positions in these. So just mm -hmm. you know fully, um, you know, like kind of making that out there. But then one time over drinks, you know, he was telling me, I was like, well, so what, what's, what, what's some of the sort of trading that you'll do in front of these sorts of things? And he's like, usually we buy way out of the money puts. That is the most least convicted way to express a bearish view in something. So again, I'm just saying it goes back to the way people reflect their sorts of positioning or whatever. No one has any idea. All right, here's something, guys. Let's switch gears a little bit. Um, I thought this was an interesting headline. Um, this was from BlackRock. Okay, mm. this is the largest asset manager on the planet. What? How many trillions do they have? They got a lot. Okay, it's it's actually scary. You talk yeah. about too big to fail. I mean, but that's yeah. another story for another yeah. time. Yeah, here's an article from Bloomberg. Um, this is one of their strategists saying that uh, they they think the markets are wrong on U.S. rate cut bets. So, and again, they've been kind of creeping in since we've had um, this banking crisis. They also existed, you know, late last year. They kind of went away as the Fed has kind of signaled the fact that they are most certainly going to continue to fight battling um, uh, the, the inflation fight here. And so I think it's interesting that BlackRock is saying that um, they're going to continue to do that. And just last week, the Fed raised 25 basis points. A lot of um, you know prominent market voices were saying that they don't think they should do that, given the fragility of the banking system um, and really the uncertainty that um, lies ahead, given you know what none of us know you know could be uh, in the offing here. Mm -hmm. Thoughts on the BlackRock call here? You thought rates were going to come down. Um, they have come down, despite the fact that the Fed um, has continued to, to to raise here. What are your thoughts here, guy? Well, first of all, it seems like the guys and gals at BlackRock have been watching either market call or fast money, number one, because I, I agree with everything they're saying. And it's interesting, you know, the fragility of the banking system. Um, yes, that's the right term. Another term is the ineptitude of the banking system, because, you know, again, this was if you think about Silicon Valley Bank, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but it's not it's all it was was bad risk management. I mean, we had Terry Duffy on our podcast a few weeks ago. And he basically said, you know, if a lot of these places used futures to hedge those positions, yeah, they would have had a problem, but it would have been mitigated to a certain extent that we probably wouldn't have seen any of these, the aftermath that we're seeing now. So really it came down to complacency. Now, if you want to blame that on the Fed, I can go there, but, you know, I'm not going to do it right here. So the fragility of the banking system is because a lot of them don't know what the F they're doing, number one. And I'm with BlackRock on this one in terms of, you know, stay the course, man. Full speed ahead. Inflation is still the biggest foe. You're going to hit waves along the way and they're going to be problems. Those problems will be ironed out. The biggest problem, in my opinion, continues to be inflation, which nobody seems to talk about. It's a very difficult dragon to slay. Not that I ever watched those. What's that show with all the dragons and shit and the yeah, people the, with all the, the white Game hair? Of Thrones. The Game of Thrones. The Game of Thrones. It's so good. Yeah. It's, it's so good. Yeah. And you know what, guy? I got to tell you. By I, the way, I, can I just say something before you? 
Yeah. You know, after I eat Cheerios, yeah. that's why I, I have my own Game of Thrones. But back to you, Dan. Sorry. Uh, okay. You probably uh, didn't I, need that. No, TMI, as, as Liz said yesterday, TMI. Um, yeah, well, it's it's, funny. it's hard, I mean, hard to recover from that. I, I apologize. Your, I bet, yeah, no, it was, I, I bet your kids love the Game of Thrones. I I, I, I was enthralled by it. I thought yeah, it was amazing. No. Um, all right, so let's talk about rates here. Let's look at that 10-year. Um, you know, when you see it, it's kind of like either side of that that 200 mm-hmm. average. And, and again, you know, when we look at um, also what, you know, the CME FedWatch tracker is expecting, I mean, it's still it's still a, a coin flip here, guy, whether, you know, at the, the May meeting here, we're going to get another 25. And I think that there's a lot of prominent voices out there saying that they're going to continue um, to do that. Mm-hmm. So that, that's just something to really, you know, keep an eye on. We've been focused on this for months and months and where, where is that terminal rate and all that sort of stuff here. So it's interesting when you think about the 10 year and you've said this um, on many occasions that, you know, that is more reflective of the expectations for growth. And if you look at that, that's basically saying, okay, well, the odds of a recession are much higher now, right? Because, um, you know, that's just kind of what this banking crisis is likely to kind of slow growth and slow lending and at a time where credit um, you know, numbers are, are through the roof, right? And savings rates are going mm-hmm. down. Companies don't have a whole heck of a lot of visibility now and the cost of capital is higher. So to me, the, the likelihood of, of lower tenure is not something that should be, I think, particularly encouraging to the stock market. And, and maybe this is a way to lead us into tech because, you know, this rotation into tech, right? When we saw the banking sector kind of seize up and the weight on it, you know, has had to do with the fact lower rates is good for valuations. Thoughts there? Well, that's been the game, right? And again, I'm not certain it's human beings making these decisions. I mean, there are all these different systems that are built on if-when statements. So if tenure yields go to a certain point, we are going to do this. And so a lot of these things are just on autopilot. And that's a problem if you think about it. We've, we've often mentioned, you know, passive investing looks past every single headline and money just flows in. And, you know, that's a dangerous game, too, because when passive becomes active, it's typically not necessarily a good thing. But to your point, I think the initial knee jerk and we saw it in all those high valuation, high growth tech stocks. Yeah. They were off to the races as rates went down. That's not you know, that's very first level thinking, but that's what happened. But I think there will be a comeuppance when people realize or bigger forces realize that, wait a second. Rates are going down for the wrong reasons. Credit is going to be tighter regardless of where rates go. And I think that's a, it's not nuance. It's an important distinction. And in that environment, it's, t- it's more difficult for these tech names to operate. I mean, that's just textbook shit right there. So yeah. you shouldn't be paying the high valuations for those names. Now, people will say, well, wait a second. These stocks are off to the right. They're going up. They're going high. Yeah. You know. Until they stop. And if you want to go back and look how quickly a lot of these names plummeted over the last 18 or so months, you know, it happens very quickly. And I think when people least expect it and, you know, to last, as I mentioned, as I started this show, the last day and a half is indicative of a potential, you know, reversal in that whole buy tech uh, versus, you know, versus value thing. And we'll see how it plays out. But rates are at the forefront. But you also hit that point of diminishing marginal returns, Dan, where lower rates are not necessarily a good thing. 
Yeah, I mean, again, if the next thing that comes for some of these large tech companies is kind of like a, a cyclical sort of slowdown, um, then that means that we're going to see, you know, earnings cuts um, both by the companies and by analysts. And that's the sort of thing that's going to take a lot of that margin or that multiple expansion that we saw over the last month and a half um, happen is just a, a sheer fact of rotation money moving into a, the perceived safety. If we pull up the NASDAQ 100, the E-minis here, and I think that, you know, we have a little chart it's showing that uptrend from the january lows um you know to your point guy about these stocks being able to sell off kind of quickly from the early february highs the e-minis the nasdaq 100 here they were just about thirteen thousand. it got just below its 200-day moving average, right? If you look at that, above uh, below 12,000, mm -hmm. right? And then we rocketed back up. We made a brief new high. Carter actually made a great point about the NASDAQ 100 yesterday. He said the problem is those August highs here. You know what I mean? Because we had a bit of a blow-off here. And he doesn't that, – that to him, the fact – that we stalled out at those February highs is pretty bearish. And so if you look at that little uptrend that we've drawn, you look at where the 100-day is, and it's about to converge with this 200-day moving average just below 12,000. I mean, to me, I think there's a trade here in the in the NASDAQ, in the 100 E-mini futures here. So we're right here about 12,700. You know, I would look, if I were to put a short on um, in the futures, I'd look to stop it just about 13,000. Okay, so that's about 300 points higher here. But my initial target is down there at 12,000. So if we want to toggle back and forth here um, a little bit you. to oh, that one-year chart, my first target is that 200-day moving mm -hmm. average. Okay. And then I think if we break that uptrend and we break the 200 and the 100, then I'm kind of going for 11,000 mm -hmm. guys. So I want to keep a really tight stop on this. I'll try it again. But if it starts going in my direction, and this is a really important part about trading futures here, you want to continue to lower those stops, right? Because every time you lower the stop, you're basically locking in a percentage of that gain that you've already achieved there. And that's one of the reasons why trading futures and really liquid um you know like markets like the nasdaq 100 are really you really risk manage them so talk to me guy you traded futures you traded in commodities over the years um for years um talk to me a little bit about this specific strategy and how you would look to kind of manage with uh, moving your stops around i love your use of toggle by the way so here's this take a look at it so you're selling right here twelve thousand seven hundred. your stop is thirteen thousand. so this is sort of a two to one in terms of risk reward, roughly. But to your point, now toggle back and think about what you just said. If this starts to work for you, that 13,000 stop gets lowered. We call that in the business a trailing stop. So if that 12,700 sale, if now we're trading, let's say 12,200, you can lower that stop effectively to your entry point. So now you're basically in it effectively for free. Now to your other point, there's, there can be a situation where you're right and it starts to accelerate. So you continue to lower that stop, but you can add to your existing short position. So you actually can sell on weakness. You can add to a short position on weakness. And that's sort of higher level shit, but that's what futures allow you to do. So if I'm looking at this, here's my entry point. My initial stop is 13,000. Things start to work in my, in my favor. A couple of days from now, that 12,700 entry point, we're now trading 12.4. I lower my stop. I lower that stop from 13 to 12.7. Now we break through that uptrend line. You know what? I add to my short position and I lower my stop again. Now, people will say at a certain point, you know, when you lower the stops, this trailing stop, it's going to get triggered. 
Yes, it will. Absolutely. But there are also situations where you could take profits theoretically at much lower levels and that trailing stop never comes into play. But as a trader, Dan, I think that's how you have to think about these things. That was pretty good explanation by me, by the that, way. That was great. Let, let's hit, hit a couple of our um, favorite products that are traded on the CME here, because I think the dollar is going to be a really important guy as we think about earnings. You know, if you think about where the dollar has come from from a year ago, where it is right now, where it was when companies reported Q4 earnings, it's in the same spot. Talk to me. Yeah. And you can have a drink of water in the meantime. So now it's getting interesting, right? Because, you know, when yields were going higher, and that was seemingly a few weeks ago, you caught that bid in the dollar. Now yields are going down. There's obviously this thought that the Fed is going to acquiesce or is going to be forced to acquiesce. And you're starting to see this weakness in the dollar. But as much as people want to say a weaker dollar is positive for stocks, and yeah, there's probably some truth to that, there'll be a point where a weaker dollar is no longer a positive for stocks. And it basically coincides with that same point where lower rates are no longer positive. And I'm not an economist. I, you know, I don't play one on TV. I didn't go to school for it. I missed that day, as a matter of fact. But I'm telling you that as positive it is at a certain point, again, there's this economic term called diminishing marginal returns, and you will reach that point in the dollar. By the way, it probably comes in, and this is just where the levels are, right around par, as they say, or 100. And in terms of 10-year yields, it probably is right around three and a quarter, 3.3%. But that's what you have to start thinking about. So as much as a weaker dollar theoretically is going to be a tailwind, it's a tailwind until it's not, the same way lower rates are a tailwind until they're not. Dan, Nathan, back to you. Yeah, matter of fact, thanks for the little breather there. No, I, Listen, I'm on a freaking roll, man. It's like I should just be teaching a class today holy yeah, well, shit you, you are and i'm learning um no okay, let's, let's okay. you know what gold. that's you know you want to you want to be patronizing that's fine i'm not patronizing yeah, that's okay. well i would say patronizing but whatever well i mean um, there's different ways to pronounce certain different words yeah i say pillow by the way it's funny that my pillow dude is everywhere like it's incredible everywhere i don't want to be yeah no um, dude, i I'll apologize be very clear about that um let's talk about gold because gold's like this weakness partying dan it's parting. It literally went parabolic, right? If you think about well, it. well, well, from the banking crisis, if you look at that, yeah. um, never got back to its 200-day moving average, which we were talking about a little bit of back and fill off the February highs. Now it's consolidating a little bit here, <clears throat> and then if you want to kind of back it out, look at it to like a 10-year chart mm -hmm. here, and you look at this big flag that it's making going back to the lows in 2000. And 19, right? And it's come up to this level. You know, it hasn't had a, a great deal of success getting through 2000, no. but you think that's coming to a theory near you, don't you guys? I do. I do. And I will tell you, you talk about days of reckoning. Like, I don't know if there's a movie out there with that title, but we are at a day of reckoning here because for you technicians out there, it is paramount that we get through those highs we saw in the summer of 2020. I mean, anything short of that, and this thing is going to fail miserably. Now, I will say again, I think it's going to get through there. And I'm pretty confident that when we get to certain levels, it's going to bring in a whole new round of buying from the hedge fund communities, which, by the way, are not in gold. And that's somewhat counterintuitive. But trust me, the market might be bullish of gold. It's not long of gold. So here we are. And it's better take place um, over the next three to five weeks-ish or there's going to be a lot of people saying you got fooled again there, G-Swizzle, in the gold market. Now, I'm not ready to say that. 
everything is in place. Literally, everything in, is in place for gold to rally here. All this banking nonsense, uh, the weakness in the dollar, central banks buying gold, uh, the potential for the Fed to flinch. I mean, everything is out there. Just has to do it in terms of price now. So we'll see. But if you're looking to trade this thing, you know, I stay long. You know, the real stop out level, unfortunately, is significantly lower than we are now. But I think your upside is significant here, Dan. Yeah, uh, let's let's hit some commodities real quickly um, away from gold. Let's look at the crude. <clears throat> we were highlighting that kind of 70 level as as kind of a, you know, a near term important breakdown. It spent a little time below that. I think you and Carter both thought it would get back on its horse. Well, it's yeah. done that. It's back above 70. Um, <clears throat> and again, I think when you saw that breakdown, maybe there's some technical stuff. Maybe it was kind of just fear of kind of recession, that sort of thing, you know, but again, we'll just kind of continue to kind of keep an eye on 70 and, and I guess 80 is, is the level where, you know, in and around that over the course of this year, it's failed. Right. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you have a pretty well laid out kind of technical picture um, in crude, but guy, one that we get a lot of questions on is this Nat gas and, and Carter oh. made, made a great call after it broke down. It had that huge move back to three and then it's just kind of been really slowly grinding lower here. And that prior low just below two about a month ago, uh, you know, or so that's, that's going to be a huge battleground for this, uh, for this commodity. Misra absolutely. You know, we, when we used to, when I used to trade the commodities for a living, you know, we used to call this the widow maker right. and there's a reason why, I mean, there've been a lot of careers made and lost. I mean, Google John Arnold, you folks out there to look at somebody who just crushed it in that gas world. But on the flip side of that was a company called Amaranth, who got their asses handed to them. And that's exactly what this is. This is about as binary a commodity as you can trade. Now, I will tell you, uh, back in February, March, you know, I thought we put in the low and I thought this thing was ready to make a beeline back to 200-day moving average. And for about two weeks, I looked like a genius. And here we are right back down. So the problem with nat gas right now is you have no weather. It's There's nothing that's going to happen necessarily out there in terms of climate that's going to move this thing. So it's going to come down to sort of supply demand imbalances, which just are not there. So, you know, short of hurricane season again, which we're, you know, ways away from, there's no real catalyst here. And that's the problem. Mm -hmm. You know, you had that semi catalyst uh, a month and a half, two months ago, but man, oh man, this has been a tough slog, Dan. All right, last one. We haven't done this in a while. It's the Bitcoin. What are we doing? Uh, oh, uh, the Bitcoin. Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, um, Big news over the last week, the SEC sent Coinbase um, a Wells notice. Um, and then the CIA. I, I know we got to go. Can I just stop you? I'm sorry, Dan, because yeah. you have a drink of water and I'm going to tell a quick story. Yeah. So, Jane Wells, who worked at CNBC for a long time, I love Jane, by the way. She's in Japan, right? She might be watching for all I know um, with her grandchildren and her husband, and I believe her son and her daughter in law. But Jane was going to have a show and she asked me, What should the title be for the show? I said, Jane should be the wells notice i mean yeah. it's freaking brilliant yeah. and she loved it um but i think the network sort of kiboshed well, it. anyway back to maybe, you man. maybe it's a podcast on the risk reversal media podcast network guide i mean um so big news last week sec wells notice coinbase stock got creamed down 20 percent um it's probably made new lows here uh like real quickly i think it got down maybe that 62 level um, and kind of bounce. The company said they're going to fight it. Um, and then a lot of people in the space 
were saying that it's just, you know, Coinbase is a company that's tried to operate within at least the the regulatory framework, the limited re regulatory framework um, that's existed. It's definitely back towards the lows it was trading last week. And then Binance, which is the largest exchange on the planet, um, was sued by the CFTC, and they're going to go aggressive on that. You know, you look at, you know, Bitcoin, and I don't really have much smart to add here. There's a lot of goofiness that's going on here. Um, that level is kind of perfect from that breakdown level guy uh, last June here. Um, I kind of feel like this is a move that's going to fade again. We're going to see it back towards this 200-day moving average um, because all the goofiness that we've seen about this million-dollar 90-day bet, this is Balaji Servasin and all the back and forth of this, it just seems like perfect hype cycle once again. A lot of these doomers are calling for the end of the fiat currency, the end of the financial world as we know it. And we know that's just not going to happen. It's certainly not going to well, happen. Yeah, it's interesting. When you bet the sun's going to explode, you know, yeah. you, do you want to be right? Because who really yeah. wins? But to your, I mean, I love that Doomer thing. CME Group, obviously, you can trade Bitcoin futures. And here we are. So have you exhausted yourself? And we have filled, if you look at that little gap going way back last summer, I mean, there's a little gap that we effectively filled. Now the question is, what's the next catalyst? And if the Fed isn't going to flinch, uh, and if inflation is still a problem that they have to combat, there's a really good chance. I mean, I don't know if we get back to 20,000, but the move from 17 to 30, do you get back to 23.5 or something like that, which is sort of a 50% retracement? Yeah. And that's how I would be looking to trade this thing. And in terms of Coinbase, real quick, if we could throw a chart up just for this year, I mean, this, I think it was about an $18 billion company, Dan, I think last <laughs> I looked. I mean, this stock has gone just this year. And last yeah. I looked, we're still in March. It's going from 55 to 85, back to 55, back to 85, and here we are at 62. I mean, do you think that's normal? For I mean, again, this is not a small, this is a significant sized company, and the volatility in it's 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 ridiculous, which again gets back to market structure and sort of you know, is the market broken? Well, you look at Coinbase, and I would submit that it is, Dan Nate. Yeah. And you're gonna say this is what you typically say, matter of fact matter oh yeah. fact um again, I'm here, not, by the way i I'm, apologize yeah we did and and you know what you have to jackass it into the city for the big yeah i was going to say that in a me. second i'm, I'm oh, jackassing into the city it's tuesday headed in to do cnbc's fast money for you fast money aficionados out there which is a great word aficionado not fast um carl quintanilla i just call him q he's hosting the show tonight dan yeah, oh, that's great. And we had Tyler oh, I got a program alert. You want to give it? We had Tyler Matheson last night, and I used your line in our final trade. I said yeah. this guy is CNBC royalty. He's he, royalty. Uh, Tyler is the best, and and uh, it's always fun to have him fill in. So that was a lot of fun. All right, yeah. Tomorrow we're doing a different time, aren't we? Different time well, for the market. Call. You know what? We got a lot going on. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know if we can share this or not. I don't know if it's sure. embargoed. No. But we're doing a podcast with the, with the guys from the compound. And that's not compound W. That's compound TRB, peeps. No, it's the compound and friends. So that would be Josh Brown, Michael Batnick. And I guess we are their friends. Well, wait, I was going to say, yeah. if it's just two of them, it's not, you know, you need to have multiple. It should well, be like Josh Brown and friends implies more than two friends. So well, that's the point. Maybe so it's a mistitled. Michael have guests on their podcast so that's their friends uh, oh i see so in this instance it's so gonna we're be, the friends well no but it's our podcast they're coming to oh. our studio so it's going to be us hosting them so it's going to be the compound and friends join on the tape podcast okay so you're confusing me again Danny because Moses okay see, we don't have a lot of time for this no. but 
It's just the compound joining us because they're not bringing friends. They are the compound. Okay. I, so and if I'm they're sure, joining us, it's the compound joins us. And I'm sure this is going to be a five-minute segment tomorrow on the podcast. So we're going to we're going to record that tomorrow. It's right. going to bleed into our market call. We're going to be a special drop in on the tape feed. So check it out, people, wherever you get your favorite podcast. That's going to be on Thursday. And then Danny Moses, Guy, and I are going to break down the week. That's going to drop on Friday morning in the On The Tape podcast feed. It's amazing. All I do is talk. You get tired. Listen, I'm sure, I know I get tired of hearing my voice. I guarantee there are folks out there that do as well. But hey, we're trying to have a little fun here, folks. But that's it for today's market call. I obviously want to thank CME Group, Dan, where risk meets opportunity and trading futures. You know what? Any of you bankers out there running a big bank, maybe you should think about those futures as a hedge. (laughs) Just throwing it out there. Maybe you listen to Terry Duffy. And of course, FactSet Financial Data and Analytics, powered by tomorrow. As Dan mentioned, we will be there tomorrow at 3.30 Eastern time. So for you sleepyheads out there on the West Coast, that's 12.30. You can be up by then. It's going to be a lot of fun. Who knows what could happen at 3.30? Into the market close, Dan. And again, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Smash the like button. And we'll see you tomorrow. All right. See you later.